This morning we're going to conclude our study of the book of Acts. And in my judgment, the book of Acts is such an important book, it needs to be studied by everyone who is a Christian. And it needs to be studied in a very organized way, as we've been trying to do in our sermons on Sunday morning. Because the book of Acts shows God's plan to save man. When someone asks the question, what must I do to be saved? There is one book that you can go to and you can find example after example after example of how a person is saved. And it's possible that you and the audience this morning have been thinking about obeying the gospel. The book of Acts is for you. And I encourage you when we sing the invitation song at the end of the lesson, if you need to respond, please do so. But if you are still wanting to study a little bit further, please ask. Your soul is too precious. The second thing that you see in this great book is God's plan for the organization of his church. You find that it began being overseen by those who men who were apostles. But God only intended them for to stay a certain period of time. And so it began to transition that in every congregation they appointed elders to oversee those congregations. A third thing that you see is the urgency of the gospel. The fact that those people who were in various places needed to hear God's word and they were going to go to great efforts. In fact, our last lesson. Paul carries the gospel to Rome and the urgency to see that everyone has an opportunity to hear that gospel. Oh, there's so many important lessons. And so let's spend a few minutes and let's look at three things as we look at chapters 27 and 28 of the book of Acts. We're going to look first of all at the providence of God. I've received a number of questions over the years. Will you preach a lesson on God's providence and explain to us the difference between providence and a miracle? And we're going to try to do a little bit of that this morning. Number two, we'll look at the preaching that was done. And then finally, the potential in them and in us. If you understand chapters 27 and 28... You see God working in the affairs that brings Paul to Rome. I'm not going to be able to use time to read all these passages. I'm going to put them on the screen behind me. I'm going to refer to parts of it, but I encourage you to listen carefully as we go through this section. Back in chapter 20, <coughs> he said, I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there. Except the Holy Spirit testifies in every city saying that chains and tribulations await me. When Paul would go to a city, he didn't know what he was going to face. He only knew that there was going to be something difficult for him there. And the trip to Rome would be no different. In chapter 23, verse 11, he said, The following night the Lord stood by him and said, Be of good cheer, Paul. Because or for, for as you have testified to me in Jerusalem, you must also bear witness for me in Rome. And so God is going to get Paul from Jerusalem to Rome. This trip is so important that God allows it to take five years 
for his appeal to Caesar. And you say, five years? Oh, you remember when we studied last week, Felix left him in prison for two years before Festus comes along? Paul then makes this journey of several months, and then when he arrives in Jerusalem, it's again another two years before his case is heard. Five whole years to do what God wanted him to do. Chapter 27, though, describes the storm, the shipwreck, and then the safety that they enjoyed. And if you and I think about some of the songs that we sing that represent this idea of traveling by ship, we think of songs like Rescue the Perishing or Throw Out the Lifeline. These are figures that help us understand people who will be traveling by ship. Most of us don't travel by ship today. We make a journey, we travel by car, and if it's a a real long destination and we want to make it in a short period of time, we'll fly by an airplane. In Paul's day, if you wanted to make a long journey and you want to make it quickly, you would use uh, a ship as a means of transportation. But if you read Acts 27, and I encourage you to do that after the services this morning, or maybe you've already read it, I read it in just a few minutes again this morning before coming to services. And there's so many details of this disastrous voyage. You'll notice in chapter 27, verses 1 through 3, that there is a centurion who is assigned to Paul. His name's Julius. He's a part of the Augustan or the Imperial Regiment. He's an important man. Because Paul has appealed to Caesar, he's going to be the man who's going to escort Paul the whole way and... Paul speaks about Aristarchus, the Macedonian, being their traveling companion. They board a ship, and then they make it to Myra, where they change to an Alexandrian ship. And Luke supposes, his audience will understand, a ship from Alexandria would have been one bearing a laden, usually of wheat, some sort of grain to take to Rome. And, And so as it's making its journey... Here he has Paul to board it, verses 5 and 6, and he puts them on board. However, there is an advice on Paul, we shouldn't travel. If you look with me at verses 9 through 11, because this is important. Now, when much time had been spent and the sailing was now dangerous because the fast was already over, Paul advised them, saying, Men, I perceive this voyage will end in disaster. And much loss, not only of the cargo in the ship, but also our lives. Paul knew because of revelation that this was going to be a dangerous trip. When I read now, I think about a trip that several of us made back in 2013 as we also sailed near the island of Crete. The ship would list back and forth so much that all the water on the swimming pool was sloshed out. That means it was a very, very uh, dangerous situation. But you imagine traveling on one of these older ships back many years ago in these kind of waters. And Paul's saying it's a bad time of the year to sail through these waters. But then you get to chapter 27, verses 14 through 20. And you read about the details of this great storm that takes place. Not long after, a tempestuous headwind arose called Eurycliden. So when the ship was caught and 
could not head into the wind, we let her drive. And running under the shelter of an island called Clauda, we secured the skiff with difficulty. And when it had been taken on board, we used cables to undergird the ship, fearing lest we should run aground on the surface sands. And they struck sail and so were driven. And because we were exceedingly tempest-tossed, the next day we lightened the ship. On the third day we threw the ship's tackle overboard with our own hands. Now when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, no small tempest beat upon us. All hope that we would be saved was finally given up. Luke is describing the desperation that's going on. Will we survive this storm? Will we be run aground where many ships had their graveyards on the service sands? He's so afraid. You can see it in the words that Luke uses. But God intervenes. Verses 21 through 25, Luke describes what would take place. It said, after there had been a long abstinence from food, Paul stood in the midst of them and said, Men, you should have listened to me. You remember Paul had warned them that they should not have departed from Crete. But he said, An angel of the Lord revealed to me there's not going to be any loss of life, only of the ship. The fact that Paul had prophesied this certainly made them listen to what he had to say now. And so he says, don't be afraid. You must be brought before Caesar. Indeed, God has granted to you all those who sail with you. Therefore, take heart, men, for I believe God that it will be just as it was told me. That's really faith. When you're in the midst of the storm and God's word says things will be okay, That's when you have real faith. 276 people's lives were saved because of God's intervention. Now, when a person says, okay, I want to understand then, what about those things that happened there? Was that providence or was that a miracle? What occurred here? Well, the definition is, is that when God uses natural law, natural things... To bring about his will, that's providence. When God suspends those laws, then that's a miracle. You see, the difference is either God uses and works with the natural established law or God suspends that law. That's the difference between a providence and a miracle. And God intended Paul to get to Rome and he used the storm, a natural event at a natural time of the year to try to show that Paul was a prophet. You see, because these people heard Paul say, we're not going to make it, and then God brought that to pass, the miracle was the fact that God gave a message to Paul. The miracle was is that God revealed to Paul things that had not yet taken place. The providence part of it Is where God used the storm to accomplish his will. Now what that does, that leads us to chapter 28. And you you look and you see all these events and they're not just happening happenstance. God is bringing them to pass, but God is wanting to do this to get Paul to Rome and he's wanting to do it in a way that allows him to stop along the way and 
what you see here is kindness. You see kinsmen and then you see the preaching. Let's look about the kind people. When they arrive on the island of Malta, verse 2, verse 7, and verse 10, it says, The natives showed us unusual kindness. They kindled a fire. They made us all welcome because of the rain that was falling and the cold. I'm going to tell you, if I had been in the waters, and it's been October, November, December, the water is cold, you come out, you swam to shore, and it's raining cold rain, somebody would kindle me a fire to get warm and dry off. I can tell you what, I think that's being real kind. Verse 7, in that region there was an estate of the leading citizen of the island whose name was Publius, who received us and entertained us courteously for three days. Here's a man not only who looks at a ship and he says, okay, everybody on there, 276 people. He brought them in, he entertained them, he took care of them three days. You know what Paul and others had when they arrived on that island? I'm not even sure they all had their shirt on their back. If I were in Paul's position or Luke's position, since Luke's traveling with him, and this guy brings us in to his estate, takes care of us, in fact, courteously, I'd be appreciative of that. Verse 10, they honored us in many ways, and when they, we departed, they provided such things as were necessary. They didn't just say, okay, now the rescue has come along. You got. They gave them what they needed. Kindness was shown. But as Paul travels further, as he gets closer to Rome, in verses 13 through 15, as he comes to Regium, Puteoli, he said, where we found brethren and were invited to stay with them for seven days. Brethren, they're taking care. They're coming out to meet Paul, and they're willing to show to him this kindness. And even the Roman guards, these were people who were kind. In Acts 28, verse 16, now when we came to Rome, the centurion delivered prisoners to the captain of the guard, but Paul was permitted to dwell by himself with a soldier who had guarded him. Paul didn't have to stay in a common prison. He was able to stay in a rented house with a guard. You know what you start understanding in this is, is that there's some kind people in this world. And what that did, that provided Paul an opportunity to preach to the Jewish brethren. And that's as it should be. The gospel is to go to them first and then to the Greek. Paul loved his brethren. We learn in Acts, or Romans chapter 9, verse 1, he says that I have great sorrow and continuing Grief in my heart, for I could wish that I were accursed from Christ for my brethren, for my countrymen according to the flesh. Paul loved his Jewish brethren. Chapter 10, verse 1, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God is for Israel is that they may be saved. So when Paul arrives at Rome, you know what the first thing he's going to do? I want to preach to these people. I want them to be saved. I don't want them to be lost. He also wanted to talk to them before their minds had been prejudiced against the truth. You see, Paul had been arrested in Jerusalem and at the plot of the Jews, they wanted to take his life. In fact, they had created a situation with Festus 
so that Paul, if he would go to Jerusalem, and they would kill him there, so that's the reason why he had to appeal to Caesar. And he's afraid that when he arrives, all these Jewish people are going to hear all these bad things. And verses 17 through 22 is significant. After it came to pass three days that Paul called the leaders of the Jews together, and when they had come together, he said to them, Men and brethren, though I have done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. And when they examined me, wanted to let me go, but because there was no cause for putting me to death. But when the Jews spoke against it, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar. So Paul's trying to tell them why, why he was here. Verse 21, they said, We've neither received letters from Judea concerning you, any report of evil. But now verse 22. But we desire to hear from you what you think. For concerning this sect, we know that it is spoken against everywhere. The faith, being a Christian, we've heard about it. We want to know more about it. And Paul is going to take this opportunity to teach them. And some of them are going to listen to it and some of them are going to believe Verses 23 through verse 31 is a long section, and let me summarize it for you. Paul is going to explain to them that the message he was going to preach was the same thing that had been revealed by the law and the prophets. We learn in verse 24, some were persuaded. They listened and they said, you know what, as I opened my scriptures and I looked, that's exactly what it says. That's the word. Then he refers back to the prophet Isaiah. Go to this people and say, hearing you will hear and not understand. Hear. Hearing you will hear and shall not understand. And seeing you will see and not perceive. He talks about people who's closed their ears and closed their eyes lest they should listen, hear, understand, and God hear them. He said, if you won't listen, the Gentiles will and I'm going to carry the gospel message to them. And when that happens, there was a dispute among them. There's going to be, you know, is Paul preaching the truth or not? Verses 30 and 31. Then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house and received all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence. No one forbidding him. Paul was a man preaching and teaching the truth. He allowed people to make up their own minds. Now, here's the potential for us. There's a lot that goes on in our world that we may not completely understand. Why did God allow us to be where we are today? Why is it that the Lord's church is so strong in Warren County? Why is it that many of us were given so many opportunities? I don't know. I can't explain all of that. Some of this we will not know until we see God in eternity. But I do know some things. I know that when I am doing what God has told me to do, that God will be with me. In giving the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 
He said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I'll be with you. David would say in Psalm 34, verse 19, Many are the afflictions of the righteous. The Lord delivers him out of them all. That is that God will take care of those who are his people. I'm confident of that. Doesn't mean the way might not always be tough. It will be. But God will take care of those who are his own. I want you to consider the potential of those like Paul who put the church at the front of their goals. I mentioned at the beginning the loss of Brother Tom Holland and Brother Kenneth Randolph. I know the lives of both of those men, and they put the Lord first. Because they did, those who are God's people today are going to honor them. They're going to give them their respect that is due, as we should all faithful Christians. Those who put the Lord first... The Lord, who, those who serve the Lord in their lives, there's the potential that they have that no one else can enjoy. The Lord's church needs to those who are committed to spreading the borders of the kingdom, making the church grow. And the book of Acts records that in the first century. You and I need to keep it up in our century. And just like then, there'll be some people who will listen, others who will not. But you and I have to keep preaching that gospel message. But ultimately, here's what it is. Everyone, whether you are a Cornelius, you're an Ethiopian eunuch, you are a Lydia praying by the riverside, you are somebody who has to make a decision. We're going to sing the song... I have decided to follow Jesus. And the question is, have you made that decision? The plan of salvation that is revealed in the book of Acts is you must first believe that Jesus is the Christ. Acts chapter 8, if you believe with all your heart, you may. You have to repent of your sins. Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Chapter 3, verse 19. Acts chapter 17, verse 30. You must confess with your mouth that you believe that Jesus is the Christ. That's what the eunuch did in Acts 8, verse 37 and 38. And then you must be baptized for the remission of your sins, which is what everyone who became a Christian did in the book of Acts. The baptistry behind me is prepared for you. If you're ready to become a Christian, it's your choice this morning. If you're a Christian, you're walking in the ways of the world and you want to be restored, we can pray for you this morning. The question is, have you decided to follow Jesus? Would you come as we stand and say?